0: The book of Joshua gives the account of how God led his people into the promised land. Though they continue to display a lack of faith in God, he remained faithful to the promise he made to Abraham and his descendants. Let's join Pastor Ross now as he guides us through the book of Joshua. Good evening, I welcome you back to your seats. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua 24. Joshua 24, And put your finger there, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great gathering, for your word tells us, do not forsake gathering together as is the habit of some. But as we see the day approaching to do so more and more, Father, that makes sense to us to encourage one another, to renew our hearts and minds through the word of God, through the love of the saints and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we pray that tonight you would equip us through your word, through the hearing and through the applying of your God breathed, heaven sent word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've come to the close of the book of Joshua, as I mentioned. Mighty, mighty truths for us as we observed all 24 chapters. The people of God conquering and possessing the inheritance the Lord had given them. A lot of spiritual applications for us. We talked about eternal life being granted to us the moment that we believe and trust in the name of Jesus. Just a change of heart and no work on your part will bring eternal life. Like the thief on the cross, just the change of heart. And Jesus says to him, today, this day, you will be in paradise with me. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, for it is by grace that we have been saved. It is uh, through faith. It is a gift of God. You cannot earn it. But in the same breath, then, there is a call to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. That there's a conquering of our own sinful nature, a, a subduing of our own evil thoughts and our old way of living, a fight to stay holy and separated from the world and moral compromise. To fully realize all the promises meant for us in Christ. And that was a picture in Joshua. Struggling to, to say that my whole heart is conquered. My whole mind. When Jesus said the greatest commandment is this. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. How much of that promise and that command have you possessed? For the Israelites, they're in the land, but there remains pockets of resistors, and they have to fight. And that is what the Christian life is all about. Uh, Some people are ignorant of that. They believe that, you know, they raise their hand or they come to an altar and they accept the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's all by grace, and it is all by grace, but there's a fight. And who would have thought that it'd be a fight to the death? To possess everything God has for me, that my own sinful heart, deceitful beyond measure, Jeremiah 17:9, would be fighting against me in the battle to possess everything God has for me. It's a fight. So Paul says at the end of his life, "I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. What is he implying? You can not keep the faith. He had to struggle. And so at the end of his life, he says, man, I made it. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. We need to remind ourselves of the battle that we face every single day. As Christians. So, here at the close of Joshua, most of the land has been taken. They're in the land. They have um, virtual rest on every side. The Israeli flag is flying over all the major cities. But as I mentioned, there are pockets of resistors and uh, they need to fight against them. Joshua, or Yeshua, has led them into this rest now. They're in the land. They're occupying it. Uh, and it's a place that Moses, the lawgiver, could not enter and give them rest. But our Yeshua, our Jesus, is the one who leads us into the enjoyment of the promises God has for us. So now Joshua is old, and he's uh, ready to depart this earthly life and uh, he knows there's work to sustain the peace and the enjoyment of the blessings that they've obtained. And so Joshua closes out with three sermons. We've looked at two of them. Chapter 22, a sermon to the two and a half tribes. Chapter 23, which we saw last week, to the leaders, the officials, the princes, and, and so on. Um, a sermon to them. And now in chapter 24, a great assembly that includes everybody at shek, Shechem, or, or Shechem—it's really Shechem—but you know what? I'm not going to say it like that because it's embarrassing. And plus, I might spray somebody on the front row. Go ahead, try it. You knew you wanted to say. It. Go ahead, just Shechem. That was gross. <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's just call it Shechem, all right? Just hit it with a K there, the C-H, all right? Now, the last sermon, uh, really, there's a refrain repeating here, but chapter 23 was three points, really. Remember God's past faithfulness to you because his past faithfulness will be his guarantee for a secure future. The second point, really, was be careful to obey him fully without compromise because obedience is the key to enjoy God's blessing. And lastly, keep yourself from being polluted by the world. That disobedience would be costly. It would be a snare. He described it as thorns in your eyes, a whip on your back. So there was a warning. Now chapter 24, his farewell sermon along the same lines. Verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Now, Roman numeral number one, a beautiful location. Shechem really is famous because it was at Shechem some 400 years previously that God first promised Abraham and his descendants that very land. And so you see what God has done? He's brought them into the land to the very spot 400 years prior that Abraham, who was married to a woman who couldn't have any children, 400 years earlier, at that spot, God appears to Abraham in Genesis 12. And it says here, I'll just quote it, Abram traveled from Mesopotamia through the land. He arrives in the land of Canaan by this great tree of morah at Shechem at that time the Canaanites were in the land and the lord appeared to abram and said to your biological offspring i will give this land so he built an altar there to the lord who appeared to him so the lord takes this abram From Mesopotamia, it's Greek, which means between the rivers, Tigris and Euphrates. It's modern day Iraq and Syria and Iran and Turkey. Just the corners right there. Abraham goes 500 miles to 800 miles down, not sure where he's going. And as soon as he gets to the heart of Israel now, God parks him at Shechem and says... Your descendants will come back here and possess this land, even though your wife can't have kids, and even though it's thoroughly occupied by these Canaanites. God, in the face of uh, total impossibility, makes a promise, and then I love it. (laughs) He does it 400 years later and brings them to that very spot and then says... See, I'm faithful. God is always faithful. And that's the refrain of Sermon 1 and 2. And Joshua 21, 45 says, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel has failed. Every one of them has been fulfilled. That was Sermon 1. Sermon 2 from last week, Joshua 23 and verse 14 Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, Joshua said. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. And so really bringing them to Shechem, it's really really cool for you to underline that and say, wow, full circle, he did exactly. He's underscoring. Look, I keep my promises. When I tell you something, it doesn't matter if your wife can't have kids. Whoa. <laughs> there, I'm just going to, for future, for, there, clearing. It doesn't matter that your wife is barren. It won't matter. I'm going to even take 25 years just to make sure you don't think that some, something uh, uh, in your own biology produced Isaac. So he's 90 90 years old, she's 99 years old, and and a baby is produced, and they come back to Shechem. God's promises will always come to pass, and the fulfillment will be the sign that he is faithful I love this about him. Uh, Moses is whining and saying, you want me to go and deliver your people from Egypt? How will I know? Give me a sign. He gave him a couple of signs, but he's still whining. So the Lord says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So what is he saying? You want a sign? You're going to get a sign. You know what your sign is going to be? You're going to be standing here with all of them worshiping me right here on Mount Sinai by the burning bush. That's your sign. So they come to Shechem. Here's your sign. 400 years ago, I told your progenitor who couldn't even have kids. He's I'm going to make them into a great nation and they're going to come back and possess this land at this very spot you know that sign that god fulfills his word to you works both ways do you remember uh the pharisees god is doing so much in christ and they say we wish to see a sign from you and jesus rolls his eyes and says that is wicked that is wicked that's just you're playing games you know and he says you want a sign the only sign you're gonna get is the sign of Jonah. And what was that sign? That Jesus would be gone for three days, and on the third day, he would rise. That he would come up from the belly of the, earth, of the seas. The sign to the enemies is their demise, he's saying. You want a sign, and you're an unbeliever? When you're standing before the great white throne, he'll say, there's your sign. I won. That's what he's telling the Pharisees. You're going to destroy me, and it's going to look for a while like you won. But the sign will be, uh uh-oh, somebody's going to come running in to the temple compound and say, ah, there was this rock, (laughs) and it moved, and there was uh, a very shining-appearing man, and there's no body there. That's going to be your sign. You see, God keeps his promises always. Let's move on, 2 to 13. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Now, if you like to mark your Bible like I do, I want you to notice God is emphasizing, he's going to speak first person through Joshua in the sermon, so kind of prophesying through uh, Joshua's mouth. First person. And he's going to draw the attention to all that he's done for them with the I took, I sent, I brought. But it's amazing to hear it when you're looking for it. All right. Why is he doing this? I'm going to already tell you. (laughs) He wants to engender some motivation for gratitude and obligation. Look what I've done for you. The least you can do is obey and walk with me. So here we go. Joshua says to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father, Abraham, from the land beyond the river and and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau, I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the desert for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Baor, to put a curse on you, but I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you. Out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. And this is what I would underline: you did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you didn't have to plant. What do you think he's trying to say there? (laughs) Boy, a normal person (laughs) might respond like, gee whiz, I feel a little indebted to you. I feel a little obligated. Like, I would want to say thank you or something. I would like to say not only thank you, but I would like to say, you know, anything you could ever ask of me after all of those eyes, eyes, eyes would be no trouble at all. After that, in view of God's mercies, therefore... Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. In view of the 11 chapters that I just wrote to you, Romans chapter 12 starts with, in view of what God has done, how he has obligated himself to you, how he's offered you peace through Christ and his shed blood on a cross and given you, poured out his Holy Spirit into your heart. In view of all of that, he says, Offer yourself to God. Well, that's what you think. So number two, if you're taking notes, a beautiful story. A little history lesson. God is speaking to Joshua as as Jews would understand. The, Look what I have done for you. I mean, that's where I think Jews get it from. You know, just a, a mom or a dad who will say, Oy vey, you, you mean to tell me. That you're gonna act like this after what I've done for you. I mean, this is, I think, the pattern right here. Where we, I'm not blaming God for anything, but I am saying it 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 works sometimes. Uh, God speaks through Joshua here, and He's recounting God's faithfulness. Now, a little reminder of God's goodness to engender a sense of indebtedness. Now. He's saying, you know what? I chose you because out of nothing special about you. You didn't merit it. I just chose you because I am merciful and loving. And that should make them humble and obedient. So, what is he saying? He's saying, number one, he starts out in the verses What were you before you met me? Answer a bunch of unbelieving pagan idol worshipers. That's who Abraham comes from, your father. He says, when you all lived beyond the river in Abraham and Terah and Nahor, you know who they were? They were bowing down to rocks that they chiseled and wood carvings that their own hands had made. They made them and then bowed down to them. That's who they were. They were idolaters. Bowing down to rock and wood. Oppressed by superstitions and fears. Groping around in darkness. He says. You lived beyond the river. And I came after you. Now. uh, Jordan and I. Just went out for dinner the other night. I think mom was at Bible study. And we went to a Thai place. And there was a. I know the word, and it was just a family altar. It's called the Butsudan in Japanese. And there's a picture of Grandpa, and there's a whole mound of Grandpa's favorite food and incense being burned to him. And then there was a second plate right by the cash register, right on the counter where you order. Right there, a big plate with pieces of bread, little pieces of bread. And there's a little note that says, These are not samples. Please do not eat these. These are offerings right there in front. And I, I made a comment about it, and he said, Would you believe that there was a lady in line just a few days ago who was eating off of the plate with the food offered to our ancestors? And he's just shaking his head. Well, <laughs> they believe. They pray to and worship their ancestors. That they, the ancestors, are watching over them. And so that they are offering the food. And I said to the young man, Do you really think grandpa's nibbling on this bread? And he went, Like, you know, I only work here, okay? <laughs> a dear friend of mine who is Japanese became a Christian and she said that her mother said the biggest disappointment of her conversion to Christianity is is that she will not worship her when she dies. Her greatest disappointment is That you will not. And the girl said, Mom, wouldn't you rather me worship God than you? No, the answer was no. Now, that's who Abraham's people, that's who the Hebrews were before God got a hold of them. That's what it says in the Bible. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So the Bible always says it's a willful ignorance and a hardening of one's heart because in our uh, consciences, we understand that we should worship God and not a person. And so it's a willful thing. And and so the Bible says, Therefore God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. So Abraham's people... The Jews, the chosen people, were once not a people. That's all his point is here, is God is saying, look, where were you without me? You were without God and without hope. And had I not made the move across the river, you would have been bowing down to stone and to wood, degrading your bodies with one another, tossing your kids into the fire, setting up shrines and having uh, sexual uh, uh, prostitution. As unto a goddess. That was the whole um, uh, goddess thing of the Old Testament. Baal worship and all of that. He said, that's where you would be. Sounds like a terrible place beyond the river. We all once lived there. Ephesians chapter 2. All of us also lived among them beyond the river gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. This is Peter's point to us last Sunday. He said right there, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Where would you be without the mercy of God? Gratitude. And so the list is there for you to read. He says, I brought you out. I parted the sea. I protected you from the enemy. I fought for you. And by the way, you didn't do it with your own sword and bow. That is the problem, is that God expects us to do our due diligence, and he blesses it, and he's the power that makes anything we do successful. But we don't see that part. I love this quote. God blesses our efforts as we cooperate with him, But when we're successful, oftentimes we see only our part and forget that the real power behind our effort was responsible for the success. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house. Its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. He's saying, you need to build a house. You need to buy the materials. You need the, the sweat on your brow. You need to, to do the hard work. But just remember Jesus' words. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the power. I'm the blessing. I'm the flow. And humans hate this. What about us? Jesus said, well, what about you? You want me to go back to beyond the river? Let's talk about who you are without the grace of God. Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle, what did he say? He said, I know myself. Apart from the Holy Spirit in me dwells no good thing. Not one thing. That even my good parts about me are stained. With a nature that wants to sabotage and do its own thing. So he says, It wasn't by your own power. I guess King David forgot all of that. Cushy palace life and a sultry summer evening, and he got a little lusty, and he takes what doesn't belong to him. And what does God say? I took you out of the sheep pens. I put you in a palace. I just deposed of the king, Saul, and put you on the throne. You even have his concubines for crying out loud. And if this wasn't enough, I'm quoting the scripture, I would have given you more. Do you hear the hurt? Do you hear it? I hear hurt and disappointment. Look what I did. Look who you were before you were a nobody, nothing, beyond the river. Playing your little thing and and, and cleaning up after the sheep. Now you're a king in a palace with a god. And you had to do this? Where's the gratitude? Where's the sense of obligation? How could you have done this after what I did for you? Wow. Snubbing God and living without regard to him or his laws is a great blasphemy and ungratefulness beyond measure. Well, what about us? Their blessings in the Old Testament pale in significance to ours. I brought you out. I parted the sea. I protected you. What do do we have? Uh, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. When you do this, think about me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new promise in my blood. Second person of the Godhead speaking, just think of this as my blood. And when you guys have this supper, You eat the bread and you drink the cup. Could you think about me, what I did for you? Sweat drops of blood in a garden. The son of God crying in the dirt. The one who spoke the world into being is face down sobbing. Hebrews says with loud cries to him who would be able to save him. A beating that disfigured him. It says because of the beating he endured, he didn't look human. A humiliation beyond description. They stripped him. Six hours on a cross. He says, I created you, I gave you life. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I died for you. I suffered for you. I took the wrath of God for you. I was not guilty of one sin. He said in John 8, let one of you convict me of one sin. The sinless one sheds his blood, gives up his life for you. I go to prepare a place for you. And any obligation, any thank you, any, Lord, your word is my command. Or you know what, son of God, I'll do my own thing because your thing is too hard for me. I want what I want, when I want it, step aside. A testimony to the wretchedness of human nature after I did this for you, I did this for you, I did this. It's almost ridiculous almost. You're underlining, underlining, underlining. I did this for you, I did this for you, I did this for you. Welcome to the next chapter, Judges chapter 1. The key verse to all the book of Judges is this. Then every man did what was wise in their own eyes. And the Lord was no longer king of Israel. And so, yeah, the testimony to the wretchedness of the sinful nature that dwells in me, survived conversion and dwells in you. The testimony of how bad it is, is that God could say, look what I did. You saw with your own eyes and have people go. Anyway, we don't care. The heart is deceitful above all things who can understand it. The issue for us, my dear New Testament friend, is there's a greater obligation under the new covenant and a greater cause for gratitude and a greater moral responsibility. And I quote Hebrews chapter 10. Anyone who rejected God's word under the old promise perished. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the promise that saved him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge and I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yeah, the I have taken you, I have led you, I covered you, I gave you manna is nothing compared to I shed my blood to buy your wretched, sorry soul out of the pit of despair. You will serve me. Or you will perish. You know what? It would be nice if we just said, you know what? I love you. I want to I <laughs> serve you. I really do. You know, but it's just so sad that it has to come down to that. So the Israelites got to move in and enjoy vineyards there in verse 13 that they didn't have to plant and olive groves they didn't cultivate. And we, we get to go to a place prepared for us and enjoy a salvation for which we did not pay. This must elicit a reverent response of obedience. Now 14 to 27. Now, in light of all that... (laughs) Fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But... If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us up and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We, too, will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people and there at Shechem he drew it up and with its decrees and laws, and Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness, a reminder against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. And so... Roman numeral number three, a beautiful response. Or it should be, anyway, this um, desire to serve him. Now, Joshua suggests three quick things. Fear God, serve him faithfully, and trash the gods of this world. So first, fear the Lord. It's a very unpopular concept. And when people hear this, they often say to their seeking friend, oh, it doesn't really mean fear the Lord, like be afraid of him. Excuse me? What does it mean then? What does it mean? Well, it means like just to have this reverence for God. True. But the word means, the word in Hebrew is yare, and it means, guess what it means? Fear. 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 (laughs) It means to be afraid. Uh, knee knocking, heart racing, eyes widening, gasping fear. Uh, the nuance, of course, is awe, respect, and honor, and reverence. And everybody knows when we call him Abba Father, we do not need to be trembling. But he may be Daddy, but he's not Daddy O. He- <laughs> He, he may be a friend who sticks closer than a brother, but he's not your bud, All uh, right? There's something about God that should inspire fear in a healthy way. Uh, you know, I've said this, I don't know, a dozen times to you before, but you know the line, you're only serving the Lord because you're afraid of going to hell. And I always say, yeah, (laughs) every single time. I just say, "Uh, do you have a problem with that? Does that seem stupid to you? That, okay, look, if you see a ditch and you become aware that you're near a precipice of a cliff and you back up because why? Because you're afraid. That's a good thing. So if I become aware of a spiritual precipice, what God describes about five times as a bottomless pit into which those who reject the blood of God's dear son will be thrown. If I become aware of a bottomless pit, should I not be afraid and step back? I think the answer is yes. if I see a rattlesnake on the trail where I either run or walk or or ride a bike, I am afraid and I back away. When I become aware spiritually of the serpent of old, the dragon, the devil, when the Bible points out to me and I sense him, watch out, be alert, You have an enemy. He prowls about like a roaring lion, the devil, seeking someone to devour. Should I not be in fear stepping back from that serpent who can do a lot more damage than a rattler? It is a noble and wise and very smart thing for you to let fear do its God-given work in your heart and life? Are you ready to throw away your entire life and defy the living God because you want to sin and rule and reign on your own throne and do it the way the world does it? (laughs) Jesus said this, talking about trying to water down the fear of the Lord. Jesus said, you know, guys, they're going to persecute you. They're going to take some of your lives. Do not be afraid of them. As I mentioned many times from the pulpit, this verse, do not be afraid of them who could kill your body. And after that, they can do nothing. Rather, I tell you, Matthew chapter 10, I tell you who you should be afraid of. You should fear, you should fear, you should fear the one who, after he destroys the body, has the power to send you to hell. You should fear him. Jesus, saying, I think it'd do you a little good to start to fear the one who controls your destiny. No fear at all? You're just going to go charging into life in defiance of the scriptures, your conscience, the word of God? No fear. The fear of the Lord causes men to depart from evil, Proverbs sixteen six. Proverbs 22, you throw in humility, and the fear of the Lord brings wealth, honor, and life. It's the wise men who sees danger, takes refuge, but the fool keeps going and suffers for it. And so he says, fear fear the Lord. Fear him. Serve with all faithfulness, then he says, in view of God's mercy and love to you, in view of his awesome power, over your destiny in view of the torment and pain that disobedience brings, 14 and 15, let me give you a paraphrase. I love this part. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, if the idea of relationship with the living God who rules the world, who has been merciful and good to you and loves you, if life with him seems like a bad idea to you, and if you think you can get a better deal with the golden calf, or by slobbering over the same gods your pagan friends bow down to, go ahead. But as for me, and those I'm responsible for, we're going with plan A. We're going to serve the living God despite whatever you all choose. Now, the word serve in the Hebrew is avod, And it means to work. Adam was placed in the garden to avad the ground to wait upon someone, to minister to them, to be devoted to a master. Warren Wiersbe, to serve God means to fear him, obey him, worship only him. It means to love him and fix your heart on him, obeying him because you want to, not because you have to. So Joshua's saying it's decision time, no neutrality. You can't have it both ways. Serve God, trash the idols, or trash God and serve the idols. He's not saying, go ahead and pick one and God will be cool with it. He's saying you can't do both. So either you're going to love God and trash the idols, or you're going to love the idols and you will trash God then you will serve somebody. So that is the Bob Dylan tune, of course. You may be an ambassador to England or to France. You may like to gamble, or you may like to... What's the word? Dance. It rhymes with France there. All right. You may be a heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. You know, I never got into Bob Dylan. I just... I. I think it's funny the way he sings, but anyway, moving on. But here's the refrain. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you will serve. And that's Joshua's point. Uh, Choose, make up your mind, but you can't have it both ways. And if you're a slave to God, you're free from sin. If you're a slave to sin, you're free from God. But what kind of freedom is that? In other words, do not tell me you are free if you cannot say no to the thing. If you can't say no no to the thing and it's controlling your shots and your life, do not tell me how free you are. The only one who is free is the person who can say no to something. That is the person free? And so, interesting note, Josh uses the grammar here to serve what commentators call a verb of continuous action. It has the past, present, and future in mind. So in effect, here's what he's saying. I have chosen to serve the Lord. I am choosing that same path of service now. And I will forever go on choosing to serve the Lord to the very end. Francis Schaeffer said this. This is the character of Joshua. He has chosen. He chooses today, and he will keep on choosing. And notice what he says. As for me and my responsibilities, my household, I'm responsible as dad and husband, and when they're minor children, I'm going to do my best to serve the Lord and help them to serve the Lord. We will be worshiping with God's people on Sunday. We will be reading the Bible and praying. We will be living to honor God in a Christ-honoring home and a Christ-honoring marriage. I knew this was going to happen to me. We can... Legislate. we cannot legislate a love for the Lord. We can raise them to serve the Lord by godly examples. We can live out our faith in front of them. We can teach them the truth. We can read them the Bible. We can warn them with tears. We can take them to church and to Sunday school. We can send them to camps and retreats. We can choose their schools. We can homeschool them to protect them. We can select their friends. We can pray over them, for them, with them. We can protect what they see. We can protect what they watch. We can protect what they hear. We can protect what they listen to. At every turn and in every way, point them to Jesus and to eternal life. As for me and my house, that's what we did. And then they have to choose. You can't force somebody. As for me and my house, you will serve the Lord. Well, you will as a minor child. And if you want to live with me, you will. For as me and my house, you will. We will. But then you'll have to choose. And mom and dad, you do everything you can, and then you let go. And they have to find their own way. Sometimes children of godly parents choose evil, they live in unbelief. Sometimes parents of godly children choose evil and live in defiance of the scriptures. But the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not turn from it. Don't think you can press that all the way to say that's a guarantee. But I think it's a lot of hope to say, uh, you do your part with a genuine faith. And it's going to be hard for that child to find satisfaction in a godless world. So there's a lot of hope there. But Josh says that famous phrase that's on some of your doors and on some of your refrigerators and in many of your hearts. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He looks at them and he says, you know what? I already know what some of you are going to do. It doesn't matter to me. In the sense, I'm serving the Lord and everybody that I can influence will as well. And so what an odd response when Joshua says, "Uh, no, you won't, and no, you can't. All he's saying is, you know what? You answered that a little too fast, a little too quickly. And so he's saying to them, you know, I detect a little presumption, a little glibness, a little insincerity. Um, So a little humility would be better than being overconfident that that's a bad thing. Um, I talked with a pastor I had lunch with many years ago, and he said, give me 10 seconds in the wrong place and at the wrong time, and I'll throw everything away. I think that's a very safe way to live, to understand how wicked i can be and what i'm capable of and so that's what josh hears he hears them saying oh yes we'll serve the lord and he says you know what you can't you don't you know your history come on why don't you say we want to serve the lord but we haven't been faithful we need his help that would have been a better response so they're not humbled and they persist with the promises and so he says okay I'm going to take you at your word. And so, you know, he says, throw out your guard, God's sign here. He writes up a vow and he says, this rock, every time you look at the rock and it's not going anywhere for future generations, you walk past this huge thing. You're going to remember, we will serve the Lord. And that rock, you walk by it and you're not serving the Lord. You'll remember, whoopsies, I made this vow. I made a vow to God. And even the rock heard it. So let's finish up, and we're done. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance, there in the hill country of Ephraim. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua And of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And Joseph's bones, the little PS here, God likes to tie up loose ends. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up out of Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the son of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants and Eliezer, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, uh, which had been allotted to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. A couple thoughts here, a beautiful epitaph. Um, Joshua dies at the ripe old age here. He's buried in the land of his own inheritance. Uh, His influence while he's alive, the people obey. And they're faithful to God. And that says a lot about a man. They didn't want to disappoint him. And he was a good leader. And thirdly, a nice little note. You remember 400 years before, uh, Joseph is now number two man. uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and one of his kids, Joseph. He rises to fame in Egypt. And uh, he's ruling in Egypt, he go, he's about to die. And he says on his beth, deathbed, he says, listen, Egypt is in our home. The Hebrews have a God. The God of the Jews will come and rescue all the Hebrews and bring them back to Canaan, where he promised Abraham. And he says, when that day comes, you carry my old bones and you bury me in that land. Four hundred years later they bring when they leave Egypt they bring his bones and it says right at the end it says and by the way Joseph man of God that he is Hebrews chapter 11 verse 22 by faith Joseph when he was near death spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones that little thought of wow This isn't going to be my resting place. I'm going to end up where God said I'm going to end up. And I want you to carry my bones up. And just P.S., God took care of that promise as well. And the last thought, as the generations pass, they are each challenged to conquer the land of blessing and promise that God has given to them. And we will do that as we pay close attention to our Joshua, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your wonderful blessing of your word. Thank you that it keeps us on the straight and narrow. Father, may the truth that you spoke to us tonight grab a hold of us and affect change. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.